Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part 22 of our series on the book of Philippians, Letters from Prison. Today, we look into our thought life, what it means to think good thoughts, do good actions. This is called Whatever is True. Hey, we want to thank everybody who came out for our Bag Hunger Outreach yesterday. We passed out some 1,200 bags on the North Shore to collect food for the Covington Food Bank, and we will be picking them up this Saturday. So if you're interested in getting in on that, join us at 9 a.m. this coming Saturday at North Shore Vineyard in downtown Covington. Well, let's get ready to head to the talk. This is Whatever is True, part 22 of Letters from Prison. July 10th service in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Apostle Paul writing from prison says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. As much as I would like to feel like everything I say on the weekends is, is you know, held on to during the week in your lives and you just, you remember it and it's coming back to you on Wednesday and Thursday, I know the reality is 90% of what I say on the weekend uh, just kind of dissipates by, say, Monday about noon, you know? And, uh, uh, but, but I keep, keep speaking anyway. But I, I think this is because uh, the tendency to, it, it's just, you know, even when you're in college, you hear lectures and it's just hard to, to remember it, right? Um, so we need some help. And, you know, Bert Wagner, the guy who was the director of the National Vineyard, he's a, a He's real into giving worship leaders uh, books on theology. And so he gave me a book uh, a few months ago, and uh, a little bitty book, really hard to read. And so I gave it to all our worship leaders and, uh, uh, to, to, so they could feel the pain with me. But, but Bert, he says, you know, the place where most people pick up theology is in worship songs. And, and so leading worship is a big deal because we're not only just talking about God, but it's influencing the way people even think about God. So from that standpoint, he's like, it's very important that, that you know, worship leaders are wrestling with theology. And I agree, uh, because there are things that you learn in songs that will stick with you forever. I remember the freecreditreport.com song, <laughs> one of them. And I can hear that song once. And I'm not even going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it because I, that's like that's like musical terrorism. And I I can have that song stuck in my head on a loop at three o'clock in the morning for four weeks straight before you know I replace it with something else. Like it's a small world after all. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. That's that's. <laughs> it's like drive-by musical terrorism that I just did to y'all. I'm I'm sorry. I've just. Violated your mind. Uh, so, so this morning I prepared a, a lyrical masterpiece of a song that I think will help you 
remember what Paul is writing about today, what we're going to look in today. Uh, so, so the idea, I'm just kind of summarizing a bit of what Paul's saying. First off, Paul says, think. Everybody say, think. think. You better think. Think, think. Okay. You better think. Think about what you're trying to do to me. Okay. Um, so first off, Paul says, think. Whatever is true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, think about such things. But then he goes on to do. You better do. Don't do the double do, though. Okay? You better think and do, and then the God of peace will be with you. So let me, let me, have, a, let me have a D. So, so here, we need like a D7, though. Yeah, yeah. Think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Think, do, and the God of peace. Come on, help me out now. Think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Think, do, and the God Break it down, just the drums. You better think, do. And the God of peace will be with you. Thank you. Everybody singing now. You better thank you. And the God of peace will be with you. Thank you. And the God of peace will be with you. It really is starting to feel like David Letterman up in here now. <laughs> Thank you, guys. You, can, you, can, um, you can't really be seated. There's no more seats, but uh, you can leave the, the hallway stage <laughs> thing that we have over there. Think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. And hopefully that will be reverberating on a loop in your mind at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, when you're trying to sleep, you will be awakened by the thoughts of Paul. Paul talks about a couple of things in here, and, and first off, he kicks it off. He says, I, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, Paul, a lot of what he talks about, whether it's in the book of Colossians, um, Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans, he talks a lot about our thought life, about the kinds of thoughts we think. And, And so first off, Paul wants us to think good thoughts internally. He wants us to, uh, learn how to think thoughts that are influenced by Jesus on the inside. How many of you know that, that when you come to Jesus, you don't necessarily start thinking all the right thoughts right off the bat. You ever notice that? I was in for a big surprise years ago when I surrendered to God. I had had 20 years of doing my own thing, uh, you know, being messed up in addictions and dysfunctional relationships and all kinds of things going on. And I just thought the, the moment I cried out to Jesus and said, you know, God, take me, I'm following you, that all right, everything is, gets better. And I, I realized while some things certainly did get better, my thinking was still stinking. You know, it, it, was, it was still, I had 20 years of thinking a certain way and it didn't just change overnight. And, and Paul, if we, if we read the writings of Paul, if we really see what it says in the Bible, we should not 
really think that that's going to happen instantly. Paul talks about one of my favorite verses in uh, Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. He says, let's just look at number 2, verse 2. He says, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying, in our world, everything is trying to squeeze you into a mold. The culture, the society, your upbringing, you know, the way your parents did it. Everything is shaping your mind, trying to squeeze you into its pattern of thinking. But Paul says part of the discipline of the Christian life is learning to kind of recognize these things and renew our mind in Christ Jesus. I'm a big fan of counseling. Anybody who knows me, they know, like, I'm, if you talk to me very much, you got any problems, I'm like, dude, I know some counselors. Go see them, you know? I'm in counseling right now, you know? I go to counseling every once in a while, and um, I find it tremendously helpful. And my friend who's a counselor, one of the things he specializes in um, is this stuff called cognitive therapy. Anybody ever heard of that before? Okay, well, it was developed kind of, you know, it wasn't developed in the church, but really he says... Really, when you look at it, it's kind of like what Paul talks about all the time. Cognitive therapy is learning to see the, the ways that we think that are not healthy and, and identify them. So, so just a simple illustration. You might be going in for a job interview to get a new job. But before you get to that job interview, you're anxious and nervous, and you, you already start uh, magnifying what things are going to be. You start going, oh, I'm going to blow this interview. I'm just I'm going to f- mess up my words. I don't look good enough. I should have got my hair cut. Uh, I, I should have done this or that, and, and it's going to be bad. And if I don't get this interview, then I'm not going to be able to provide for my family, and things are going to spiral down. Then you get to the interview and say you're, the, the person you're interviewing for is kind of looks a little distracted, like some of you this morning. And uh, no, just kidding. And uh, and so instead of thinking, well, hey, you know, this person might have a lot on their mind. You start taking it personally and saying, oh, well, they got a problem with me. They don't like that. They're 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 avoiding eye contact because there's something wrong with me. And these thoughts, they may seem absolutely normal to us. That's what's scary. They do seem normal to us. It's the way that we've just come to view the world. But when you you look at it from a kind of a cognitive therapy standpoint, if you step back, and that's why counseling is so good because you get somebody outside of yourself who can say, hey, dude, that thought right there, not really reality. You identify how these things get you in a negative place, and you say, wait, okay, that's not, that's not really reality here. This person's not really, he's, he's really told me nothing to, to say that he doesn't like the way I look or the way I talk. Maybe it's his issue altogether. Maybe he's distracted by something else. And then you learn how to straighten out these negative thought patterns. Truth is, you grow up with all kinds of things based on your parents and, and things you experience. And, and so those things form this whole web of the way that we think. It actually affects your physical brain. And Paul says part of the part of the spiritual life is learning how to renew our mind. And it's not just in these kind of things like a job interview and stuff like that. That's helpful. It's in your spiritual life. I I mentioned a couple months ago how my struggle as a new Christian was to really believe the grace of God. I would hear things like, you know, Jesus has been the one-time sacrifice. It's by His grace that we're saved, not by our works, lest any of us should boast, that God loves us unconditionally. And I would give mental assent to that. I would agree with that concept. I believe that. But when you get down to the way I live my life, it didn't really look like I believed that. 
because I was on this roller coaster. Anytime I was doing good things for God, like praying and reading my Bible and protesting things with other Christians and uh, you know, involved in church activities, I would feel God likes me. I'm doing good. I'm God's little soldier. And, but then when I would blow it, which you know, I, I occasionally blew it every other few days, all of a sudden I would feel like I needed to run away from God. Like I better distance myself. God's angry at me because I sinned and, and I don't need to come around him anymore. Well, is that the thoughts of Jesus or is that my own stinking thoughts? It's my own stinking thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because so, so I've had to really renew my mind over the years that, look, even when I blow it, and it's quite often, even when I blow it, that's not the time I need to run away from God. That's the time I need to run to him. And, th- and thank you, Jesus, that, that there is nothing I can do that can add to, to what you've done. There's nothing. And there's nothing I can do to take away from it. You love me absolutely as I am. I'm as right with you right now because of what you've done as I will ever be. And I thank you for that. And even though everything in me doesn't want to believe that because I want to punish myself or run away or hide in shame or whatever, I thank you that that is the truth. I'm about to preach. (laughs) You better think. (laughs) So what I've found is I continually come back to that place with God and say, look, regardless of what I may be feeling based on my own junk, I'm embracing the grace of Jesus and what you've done. That begins to change me on the inside. And, and, and soon that begins to renew my mind. And, and, and I start experiencing the abundant life that God wanted me to have. But it, it, it's, it's this stuff that Paul's talking about. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I have found a lot of times Christians tend to leave these verses in kind of this, um, you know, kind of mystical, self-help kind of place. You know, like, I just need to be a more positive person and think happy thoughts just so I can deal with my junk. But Paul doesn't leave it there. As I'm fond of saying quite, uh, quite often around here, you are not the point, but a point in what God is doing. God, it's not just about you, about just fixing you. God wants to do something in and through you. <laughs> Cell phone? Oh. <laughs> iPod. So... These words are not just a a case of kind of like mystical enlightenment. And that's where a lot of religions end up. Just think the right thoughts, meditate on the right things, and you'll find enlightenment. Paul doesn't stop there. It's not about you just being enlightened. Paul said there's a much bigger picture. Actually, Paul, the wording that he uses here, and most of us don't catch this because we don't, you know, we're reading it in English, you know, 2,000 years after Paul wrote it, somewhere around there. But the wording that Paul uses when he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Bible commentators will will say that Paul takes a break from his writing style here. This is not the way Paul writes. I mean, you can read all the stuff that Paul's written in other books, and he doesn't write like this. It sounds kind of weird. Well, they said Paul is intentionally borrowing the language of Greek philosophy from the Hellenistic world. 
folks like Aristotle a few hundred years before him and then Plato, they, the, the big thing that they were always concerned with was human flourishing. What does it mean to live a virtuous life? And this is the kind of language they would use. They would talk about purity, truth. No, things that are noble and admirable and thinking about such things. Well, Paul, Paul actually takes that language. And what he's saying is, is our tendency when things get bad, whether it's in your marriage or on your job or with the government or whatever, when there are things that are happening that you disagree with, our tendency is to pull away, isn't it? We kind of we pull back or else we become adversaries. We, we start attacking others or attacking the government, or, or whatever, attacking your boss. Maybe not physically, but we get in an adversarial relationship, or else we, we, we sink into depression or resentment. And Paul is talking to a group of people who have ample opportunity to do that. The church in Philippi was a Roman colony, and you know the guy who was on the throne at that point, the emperor? A guy named Nero. Anybody ever hear of him? Bad dude. I mean, this guy, he would impale Christians on post and light them on fire for his dinner parties in his garden. I mean, he, he, was, he was not a... What's that? Killed his brother and his wife. That was kind of all emperor, Roman emperors, though, you know. <laughs> it's kind of what you do. <laughs> Marry your sister, kill your brother's wife. It was a, uh, but, but Nero was always using Christians as a scapegoat. And so the, the church in Philippi was in this Roman colony where they were beginning to be persecuted. They were, anytime anything went wrong, kind of like what Hitler did with the Jews, Nero would do that with, with the Christians. Blame it on the Christians. They're the problem. They're the problem for the taxation. They're the problem for, for different things that are going on in the empire. So think about how you might feel in Philippi at that time. Now, I think right now, you know, people complain about the government all the time, but dude, it's not as bad as Nero and Rome, okay? <laughs> I mean, no matter how bad our economy is and, and, and how much corruption you might see and different things, and, and no matter if your guy won or not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of happy that, that things are at least the way they are right now. It's, I take it any day over Rome and Nero. And Paul is saying, you have ample opportunity to get hopeless right now and to think thoughts that are hopeless. You've got ample opportunity right now to think thoughts of, of resentment and despair and contempt. You've got ample opportunity right now to become an adversary of the Roman government, to, to take to the streets and protest and demand you know, that you can have the Ten Commandments put down at the Roman Colosseum and, and all these things. But Paul says, don't do that. Look for things that are noble. Look for the path that is true and pure and lovely. If there's anything praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, we did a, an exercise at our marriage course the other night. Uh, we're, we're meeting over at Sorelli's on Tuesday nights, and, uh, and it, it was cool. Um, the... We did this little exercise, and it was just a simple exercise. You ought to try this, couples. Um, we, our assignment was to take about 10 minutes and write down six compliments for our spouse and then to, to talk to each other. And you think, that's, that's kind of a simple thing. Well, it's, it's interesting taking a few minutes just to think about what I love about my wife. Because oftentimes I can forget the things I love about her. You know, I kind of take them for granted. But I started thinking, you know, 
I love the way you love our kids and, and, and you take care of things around here. I love that. I love the way you encourage me when I'm down. My wife is very encouraging most of the time. <laughs> Except when it comes to fixing things around the house. I'm, I'm, no. Uh, <laughs> I love all these different things about you. And then she told me the things she likes about me. And it's amazing when you just take a few moments to remember what you love about your spouse. Dude, you just turn a corner in your, in your heart. Like all of a sudden you're like, you know, because I mean, being married, you're going to be aggravated with things. There are going to be things you don't like about your spouse. You don't have to raise your hand and say amen on that. That's cool. I know. Uh, but when you turn the corner in your mind and you say, you know, I'm going to think about the, th- the, the good things, the true things, the noble things in our relationship. All of a sudden, your attitude towards that person changes. Did anybody notice that in, your, in the marriage course the other night? Well, we only had a few people that were in the service that were there. Well, I noticed it. Did you notice it, Barry? We All right. were arguing on the way there. Sweet. We weren't even just like, laughing and See? Great example. Showed up at the marriage course arguing with one another, and then, then just by remembering these things, they turned a corner. That's great. I didn't even set that up. That's awesome. <laughs> Glad you did. So, so Paul, Paul is saying, even when you have the right and the justification and being married, you're going to have the right sometimes. Sometimes you've got a legitimate offense with your spouse. And, and Paul is saying, even when you've got the right to sink into negativity and criticism and cynicism and depression and hopelessness. Dude, turn the corner. Start thinking about what is true, what is noble. And, and, and so Paul is, is not just putting this in a personal... It's not just my life. It's connected to other people. And, and I, I want to put this in another example here. Is that from The Little Mermaid? <laughs> uh, you know, I have to say, most of my life, my impression of the church, whether I've been in it or outside of it, it seems to me like when it comes to the church in America and the government or the public schools, it seems like that's usually a, a very contentious adversarial relationship. Anybody notice that in America? I mean, I, I, I may be off here, but it seems to me when when the church looks at the public school system in America, it's not as wanting to bless the public school system. It's usually wanting to protest the public school system. I've, I've been around Christians. I've even been part of th- things, regrettably, that where you, know, you protest. Hey, this group's not allowed to pray in school, or we, we're not allowed to have a prayer at our commencement, or the school is, is teaching uh, evolution, and they need to teach creationism, so we're going to boycott them. We're pulling our kids out of the school, or whatever. And, and, and the church becomes an adversary of the state. Maybe sometimes there's a reason, but Paul is saying, dude, people in Rome under Nero in the church, dude, they had reason, justifiable reason to go out there and boycott. But Paul's not saying, hey, we need to circulate petitions and go take to the streets and, 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 and boycott stuff. What I began to find a few years ago when we moved to Kenner, uh, it was our daughter, Tevia, was five years old, so it was time for her to go to, the, to, to kindergarten. 
And if, if you're a parent and you've never wrestled with education, that's kind of scary the first time you start thinking through it. Like, what are we going to do with our child? And, and uh, it's a scary thing. And so we thought of our options. Option one was homeschooling. And we had lots of friends who did homeschooling, and, and some of them were really good at it, but we realized, yeah, I don't know if that's going to be very good for our kid. We, you know, the, the quality of education might not be good. I mean, we, it just wasn't our gifting, right? The second thing we looked at was private schools, and we liked that option. We just couldn't afford that option. So we're like, okay, that leaves the local public school, Schneckenberger. Try saying that when you're five years old. Schneckenberger. And... Uh, we, we prayed about it, and we really felt like, yeah, okay, it, scary as it sounds like, you know, the schools in Jefferson Parish or whatever, we're, we're going to put our daughter in there and try it out. And we put Tevia in, and I got to tell you, we were, we were pleasantly surprised. We found that most of the teachers, with the exception of one or two, really loved kids and, and wanted the best for kids. We found the principal was awesome. And, and really, it was a great experience for the first several months, up until about April. And then Dana got a call one morning that said, the, the principal said, hey, uh, look, we just want to let you know your, your daughter was attacked by another kid with some scissors. And it sounds crazy, but, you know, when you're in kindergarten, the kind of scissors that you can attack someone with, it's, it's <laughs> it was a little dramatic. But, you know, I think she was just doing a kind of a courtesy call just in case we heard something. But it was enough to get Dina riled up. And Dina goes down there and she's ready to give this principal a piece of her mind. And, you know, what kind of school are you running? I mean, why can this how, how can this stuff happen in a classroom? Are you crazy? You know, I mean, my daughter, we love her and we're going to pull her out of the school. And, and then finally, Dina goes, well, you know, why does this stuff happen? And the principal said, look, you know, we got some kids that are in really bad situations and they come here to these schools and, and, and some of them are, are, are acting out. I was just talking about how much I love you, babe. <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and so we're, we're talking... <laughs> She's talking to the principal, and, and she's saying, you know, well, what, what about these kids that are doing this? What is there for these kids? What's there to help them? She's like, well, honestly, we got one social worker at this school, and this is one of four schools that this social worker comes to. And that's, I, I guess that's basically the state of most public schools. And so, you know, you think one social worker trying to meet the needs of, you know, over 1,000 kids, that's, um, that's a lot of work for one guy. And Dina... All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of got a hold of her in the middle of this conversation. You ever have God do that to you before? You're like angry, and then all of a sudden, God turns you in another direction. And she said, well, what if we could do something to help these kids out? And the principal was like, well, I'm listening, you know. And she said, well, you know, there's this program we were involved in back in Hammond, and it's a mentoring program. What, what if we could look? In, and, and the principal was interested in, in hearing about it. So we went and talked to the pastor on the South Shore, told him about it. He was like, great. It's a program called Kids Hope USA that... Um, where you train up mentors from the church to go spend one hour a week with an at-risk kid. And it's, it's one mentor to one child, and they're, they're together for the whole year, once a week. And um, we approached the school. We said, hey, look, we've done the, the stuff. The, the church has agreed to fund it and everything. But, but the principal was a little leery at first because 
her experience with churches is either they want to fight the school or they want to take over the school, you know? And she was like, well, y'all trying to like do some kind of revival evangelism, something here. Y'all, you know, no, no, we we promise we're not coming in here to evangelize. We're not preaching. We're not, we're not going to invite these kids to our church. We're just, we're just going to love these kids and, and help them out. So she finally got the lawyers from Jefferson Parish to look at it. And they're like, okay, it's cool. And we started the program. And we started with about 10 mentors uh, that first year. And within a year, we started seeing a difference. It's amazing. Some of these, because the teachers would recommend kids that were, you know, really having behavioral problems from really bad situations, and their parents would have to approve it. But once they did, we, they would have a mentor that would show up every week. And just by having one positive adult relationship in their life that was consistent, things began to change. Began to see kids that were having grade issues, you know, struggles with their grades. All of a sudden, their grades started getting better. Well, for some of these kids, they they had one person in their life helping them with their homework once a week. That was my kid. The first kid I mentored, I was the only time in like five years anybody had helped him with his homework, you know. So, uh, but also what we found was just by having one positive adult relationship in their life, their behavior began to change. They stopped acting out so much. They started getting along with other kids. What was interesting, too, after that first year, after they began to trust us, because, you know, you got to win the trust of, you know, when you're a church, you got to kind of win the trust of of the school. Once they realized we weren't there to take over and dominate their program, we were just there to to love kids, it it began to open the doors for other things. So we found there was people in the church that couldn't do the mentoring program, but they could paint and they were good at carpentry. So we started offering to help out with other things. Well, we painted the cafeteria for them. We put in a new landscape out front. We rebuilt some things around there. When they needed to do a fundraising festival, I lined up a sound guy and a band. And, you know, I have a band, so I got some musicians together. We came out there and played. We got a couple of barbecue pits and did some pulled pork and some uh, brisket. And we were able to raise thousands of dollars for them. So the school, instead of seeing the church as adversaries or not interested at all or a group of people that was trying to take over, they began to see that the church was an ally in loving kids. Now the school actually has got to a point where when they have something that breaks down in the school, you know, the first people they call is not the Jefferson Parish school system. They don't call headquarters and ask for help. They call the church. Isn't that crazy? Like to think that a public school would call a church for help first? You know, last time I checked, they had something like 25 mentors now that are going into the school every week. And we actually heard a report from a social worker uh, that had gone to a social work conference where the social worker from Schneckenberger had, had shared something, unsolicited or anything. He said, look, you guys in these public schools, you need to find churches that will do this program in your schools. You don't know the difference it makes for a social worker to have 20 people coming into your school every week to deal with the most problem kids. <laughs> he says, find some churches that will do that. Isn't that crazy? I, but I have to tell you what happened for me is I moved from being in an adversarial relationship with the schools, which is what I had grown up in, <laughs> to all of a sudden realizing there's, there's something that is true and that is noble and that's right, right here in the middle of the public schools. What is it? Loving kids. 
Because I don't care how much I may disagree with whatever the school board person is or the curriculum or how they're running things. I can agree with these teachers that loving kids is a good thing. Loving children is a noble thing. And so no matter our differences, we can agree on that, right? And the truth is, when we agree on that, it it opens up the door for God to do all kinds of things. You know, I... I mentioned this at our mission meeting the other night. Uh, you know, we got this great little building here. I mean, it's a little building, granted. I mean, it's a little tight in here on Sunday mornings. We got this great little building in downtown Covington, and there's, you know, right in the middle of all the things going on in this this great little metropolitan, you know, micropolitan, is that what we call it, <laughs> uh, community. We could see this building and think, Wow, you know, we, we got a sound system. We, got, we can put some tables out. We already know how to make coffee. We could make a little hangout here right in downtown Covington. And that might make sense to us. You know, like, you know, we, we could do it kind of like a little outreach. But I, I tell you, at this point in my life, I would much rather go get a gig at, at, at Sorelli's three blocks down and go to a place where people are already coming to hear music and to eat pizza and hang out. And you may think, well, there's, there's people that are showing up and getting drunk. And, and there's, there's non-Christian bands that play there. I don't care. I, I want to find a place where we can look for something that's noble and true and right. And, you know, when I play a gig over there, even though I'm doing Ray Charles or Stevie Ray Vaughan or B.B. King, I invite God in there. I, I get together with the drummer and the bass player beforehand. We just say, God, just show up at this gig. Let people's spirits be lifted. Let them encounter you. We've been doing, and so out of playing gigs over there, we started doing our marriage course over there. And I told this to the, to the folks the other night. Uh, you know, the first two nights we did there, I approached them about doing Tuesday nights over there at Sorelli's because nobody shows up to eat pizza in downtown Covington on a Tuesday night. It's just not a, a happening time. They were actually thinking of closing down on, down on Tuesday night. So I said, what if we did a marriage course here just to, you know, help your business out? She's like, okay. They let us do it. Well, their restaurant was like packed. Not just marriage course people, like packed both the, the first two nights. And uh, on the second night, the, the lady, I'm, I'm packing up everything. I was like, wow, y'all were crowded. She's like, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't, she's like, I kind of think we're just getting blessed because you guys are in here. And, and But again, and I tell you, at the end of the marriage course, Every Tuesday night, you know, the, we, we give gratuity 20% to the, to the waitresses. But I ask everybody in there, drop a few extra bucks. So these waitresses and waiters, they end up getting 30 or 40% at the end of the night. Why? Because that's good. That's noble. That's true. That's a good thing. We want to say as a church that, hey, we're not here to, to fight with people. We're here to find good things and do them. We're here to thank do, and the God of peace will be with you. So I encourage you this morning, whatever you're going through, you may be in, in a relationship, you, you know, maybe your marriage, you're in an in a adversarial relationship with your spouse right now, or maybe you're, you're finding yourself sinking into resentment. Maybe you're finding that on your job or with coworkers or with your neighbor or with family members. We've got ample opportunities. Maybe for you, it's, it's the government of the United States. And, and you, every time you watch CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, depending on your political persuasion, you get riled up on the inside. And you're like, oh, man, them stinking Republicans or them stinking Democrats or them Tea Party people, whatever. 
and you're finding yourself getting filled with resentment and despair and cynicism, dude, take a fast. I have to fast from cable news sometimes. I do. Because I, I really get depressed. I mean, I do. That's why I'm in counseling. <laughs> Instead, turn the corner and, 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 and begin thinking, what? Okay, yeah, maybe I disagree with the tax thing or this thing or that thing or the size of government, whatever. What can I do, though? What good can I do? What, what noble things can I do to be about Jesus kind of work? That's what I love about the bag hunger thing, you know? We're not. We're just finding something we we connected with the community. You know, we all agree hungry people are bad. I mean, <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. I mean, like having people go hungry in your community—that's bad. Hungry people are good. Uh, I probably need to eat right about now. That's uh, that's my problem. That's right. It's okay that you're Thank right. you. I appreciate it. I feel very affirmed here. I feel... <laughs> Paul closes it out by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. The, the, the promise, the path that Paul is putting us on here is that we think right thoughts internally in our relationships with one another and with the surrounding world, if we think right thoughts and we do the things motivated by those thoughts, then the God of peace will be with us. I got to tell you, I have learned more in situations like Kids Hope where you know our daughter's getting attacked by scissors and, and all of a sudden we're thrown into a crazy place. I've learned more in those kinds of things and working through things like that than I've learned in attending a lot of church services. I'm not saying that to, to run people off, but... Uh, It's those situations where we have the temptation to go down the path of resentment or despair or cynicism. When we open up our hearts to what God's doing, you are going to find the God of peace is with you. You're going to bump into Jesus in a big way. And it's going to be in the most unexpected places. Again, let me remind you, we call this letters from prison because Paul has been in prison. Probably about two years at the point of the writing of this letter. And Paul is not telling the Philippian church to do something that he's not been doing the whole time. If Paul wasn't already doing this stuff, his letter would be, man, that stinking Roman government, they got me in jail, and you know, I need, a, you know, need, I need y'all to pray to get me out. Paul's not even asking him to pray to get him out of there. He's just experiencing God in the midst of that. And I tell you, no matter what you're going through, you follow this path, you're going to bump into Jesus. Jesus is going to be with you. His presence, not just his peace. You know, Paul has talked about the peace of God, but now he says the God of peace will be with you. That's pretty hot. Agreed? So, think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Think, do, and the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> Why don't you stand and let's close with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we... 
We are so grateful for who you are, for what you've done. Lord, though there are thoughts in our life that, that can, can tend to oppose your grace, God, we, we just bring those thoughts low right now. Lord, we embrace who you are and what you've done. We thank you that, Lord, you offer the gift of life to us not based on how good we can do, but based on how good you can do and your goodness and your love. And that's the only way that we can even know love and goodness is you, Jesus. So we ask you to be the center of our lives. I pray this morning, God, I know there are folks here this morning, even as I'm speaking, that, that are really struggling with resentment, anger, cynicism, Lord, that that those are the thoughts that are dominating their mind. I pray the grace of God to free us in those areas, God. Lord, that we could turn a corner by the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit, that we could find whatever is true and noble and righteous. Lord, we could find those things and we could think those things. And Lord, we could do those things. And we thank you that you promised to be with us. So, Lord, go with us today, God. Be the, the fire in our hearts, the wind in our sails. Be the empowering presence that leads us to life this week and to love. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.